Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to the Business of Craft Beer podcast, recorded live from the University of Vermont's Continuing and Distance Education Department with your host, Greg Dunkley. Whether you're looking to break into the craft beer industry or start your own brewery, this podcast is for you. Each week, we will discuss all aspects of the craft beer industry from sales, operations, marketing, trends, and analysis with industry experts and thought leaders. If you'd like to be part of the show, please call 929 477 1757. And now here's your host, Greg Dunkel. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, this is Greg Dunkling. Uh, you're listening to the Business of Craft Beer blog talk radio show. Uh, we're coming to you live from the campus of the University of Vermont in Burlington, Vermont. Uh, we're really pleased uh, today to have a special guest uh, from the UK, uh, Stuart Howe, former head brewer at Sharps Brewery based in Cornwall. Uh, as some of you may know, uh, Sharps uh, produces one of the fastest growing beer brands, Doom Bar, uh, a beer that has taken England by storm. Uh, Stuart helped uh, grow Sharps Brewery from 10,000 uh, UK barrels to 220,000. Uh, and in 2011, they were acquired by SAB Miller. And today, uh, Stuart is working at Harbor uh, Brewing in North Cornwall, Cornwall as uh, head brewer. So uh, welcome, Stuart. We're really delighted to have you for the next half hour. Thank you. So let's uh, let's start um, by telling our listeners a bit about yourself. Um, uh, people may be a, a bit unfamiliar with the UK craft brewery scene, but tell us about your background and how you got into the brewing. Uh, well, I left school um, as soon as it was possible to leave school because I thought I was going to be um, the next big rugby player and I was going to earn lots of money doing that, and um, that didn't work out very well. So I. On the on the side of doing that, I was uh, I was a commercial gas engineer, um, installing commercial gas equipment and and uh, that kind of stuff. And um, I'd always, ever since I'd been legal to drink, I'd always loved beer, and um, I really wanted to. Didn't think I was ever going to be complete until until I was actually brewing beer. So um, when I, when the, the rugby didn't really work out, I, I, went, I went to evening classes and got all the necessary qualifications to go into uh, Herit Watt University and then um, completed the, the degree there um, so that I could um, enter the brewing industry at a sort of a graduate level. Uh, there were, at the time, there was probably only about 20 or 30 breweries in the UK that really would um, employ someone. And if you, if you wanted to go and, and brew beer at a, a significant brewery, you, you had to have the, uh, the Heritage degree um, or you had to have a, probably a, a food science based degree and then, then do the diploma with the Institute of Brewing and Distilling um, to get in. So it was, it was something I needed to do to, to get in. So I, I, I went into my first job was, was 
at a company called Breakspears, which is a, a small independent brewer, about 40,000 UK brewers barrels a year um, in a very picturesque and very posh part of the UK. And um, I worked there for a couple of years and got promoted up to being um, sort of second brewer. Um, he's the guy that does all the work while the head brewer goes out and kisses baby and drinks beer in pubs. And then, <laughs> um, um, unfortunately, um, the, uh, the, the business decided that at the time there were lots of families, regionals doing this. They decided that the, uh, the site where the brewery was based was, was worth more than the profit they could make in about 10 or 15 years. And they had lots of valuable pubs that were also generating a lot of in- income for the business. So they decided that, that it wasn't worth brewing beer anymore. And they, they sold the site on and, and just became a pub management company. And as a result, everyone that worked there was, um, was made redundant. Um, I managed to get out before and got a job working at the big, a big brewery, the biggest brewery in the UK, um, producing what is now Heineken brands um, for a while. And, and from, from then on, I went to, uh, went to Sharps. Yeah, I read that in uh, 2002 you you uh, you joined Sharps. I also read that um, that you were maybe a little unsure about joining uh, Sharps at first, and after a pint of D- Doombar with the owner Bill Sharp, uh, you loved the beer so much that you took the job. And curious, what struck you about this beer and, and the opportunity with Sharps? Yeah, but the the brewery itself was was basically a big shed with a few tanks in it. Um, it didn't really compared to the, <laughs> yeah, compared to the beauty of, of a, of a Victorian brew house that I came from for Breakspears and a, and a fully automated, um, Briggs kit that we had at, uh, at, uh, Heineken at the time. Um, it, it was pretty unassuming, uh, the business, uh, all, all small craft brewers, um, especially at the time were sort of, uh, not, not particularly, on a on an even keel, they were it was a, it was a struggle to get into the into the market because the market was really set up for the really big big brewers and and there weren't a lot of small brewers around and and everything the infrastructure that we got for small brewers today wasn't really there so um, it was a pretty a pretty tough existence to be a small brewer so it was a, a bit of a bit of a risk to go down and, and, and brew beer on a smaller scale and when you got mm. the, the degree from here at what there was at the time there was only about sort of ten of us graduating every year you're quite a rare commodity so you generally would, would look to the bigger brewers for for a, a career rather than going down and, and working at a small one but mm. i'd always got i'd always got into brewing because i love i love beer and i love the way the beer tasted so I, I always i was always motivated to to go to breweries where i really like the beer and, and going down to cornwall and i hadn't even tried the beer when i went for the interview and, and we, we finished the interview and he said you must come and try some um, so he took me down to a, a really nice pub on a really picturesque estuary in in North Cornwall, which is a beautiful part of the world anyway. Um, and you get a bit of a holiday effect when you when you drink beer in certain locations where everything always tastes better <laughs> when it's on holiday. But um, even given that, I was I was still really impressed with the beer and, and the UK brewing scene for cask beers were generally pretty hard going I, I i prefer the continental style beers the more soft and rounded and um and, and uh, slightly easier to drink and not not particularly satiating um whereas uk craft beer, uh, cask beers generally were were really quite bitter quite dry um often a, a bit of a struggle to really get into and once you once you trained your palate to 
to tolerate the level of um, off flavors and, and, and harshness that, that were there. You could appreciate what, what they do, but Doombar had, had an appeal that was, it had a real soft, easygoing character to it, but at the same time, it had real, really lovely um, hot notes and really good fruit character on it. So it really, it, it sort of, you thought, wow, this is really quite special when you first tasted it. Normally when a beer is like that, you get sick of it after a quarter of a pint, but this one just got better and better as you got down the pint. And I thought I could really see people in, enjoying this beer. And um, Mr. Sharp, coming from being just a, a home brewer in his garage to, to, to bringing this business up to where it was, has done a really good job with the, the actual beer. So I thought this was this was something that had real potential. So it was yeah. a time in my career, career where I wanted to be called a head brewer and I was probably not quite as patient as I should have been um, and, and decided to, to give it a go. But it was, it was definitely the beer that inspired me. If, if the beer hadn't been as amazing as it was on that first taste, then I wouldn't be where I went. You know, I must confess, I, I, I was in London with my wife and, and son uh, a year and a half ago. And, you know, we traveled up to York and uh, certainly we, we visited a number of pubs and tried a lot of the, the craft beer in, in the UK um, mm-hmm. uh, I did not try a Doom Bar, but a neighbor of mine travels uh, once a month on business to uh, to London, and his father-in-law is from the UK and mm-hmm. uh, north of London, uh, a few hours, and they both, uh, you know, commented on you know their favorite beer is, is Doom Bar, and and uh, so anyway, I spent some time looking uh, looking you guys up and uh, finding out more about you, and realized that you know. Uh, they're they're not alone. A lot of people uh, in, mm-hmm. in, uh, in the UK have really taken to this uh, this product. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you about the the you know the growth uh, when you were there for some somewhat over twelve years. Um, what were some of the you know lessons learned or, or experiences that you had going from a ten thousand k UK based barrel uh, to two hundred twenty thousand? It's quite a growth over that period of time. And you know what was it like like to be part of that growth? Yeah, it was it was really exciting. It's it's, and it, but it was really challenging at the same time. You, every six months, my job would change completely from from uh, going in and, and being the man who's digging the grains out of the mash tun, and, uh, and and really sort of uh, rolling my sleeves up and getting involved in the beer for the first sort of six months. I was then sort of more office based and doing the planning, and then after a couple of years, I was even more office based and and getting involved in in sort of uh, more of the engineering side and, and installing new kit and building building the capacity and, and then uh, recruiting the human resources to, to do the job and implementing um, quality systems and food safety systems that you're required to go into into bigger bigger sales areas. Um, so it was a constant a constantly changing changing role and you've you've got to you've got to adapt and grow with the role which is which is really really interesting and helpful um you've never got enough time to do anything um and, and most of the time as we were growing we were sort of funded by a couple of entrepreneurs that really wanted to spend most of their money on marketing the beer and, and as long as they could get away with the beer being okay they were they were happy that the equipment was, was <laughs> the best equipment in the world whereas from the brewer's point of view you were always you always felt like you were you were brewing on pots and pans and you never had <laughs> sufficient time to to get keep the beer in tank for long enough so um it was it certainly m- makes you makes you very good at, at working out the right way to get the best out of out of um stuff which isn't quite adequate um yeah so and then 
up the business, well, Bill Sharp sold his business on in 2003. So I was only there for just over a year under Bill. And then um, the two new guys came in and, and they were the ones that really springboarded the brewery up to up to the 90,000 barrels that Molson Coors, Molson Coors took it over at. And then Molson Coors, given their, their access to market, were able to, to just trigger massive growth really quickly and, and get the brand get the brand sort of national and, and get real penetration and make it the UK number one cask and bottle beer um, during that time. So certainly certainly I had to change my approach from, from being a, a brewer that swore and punched equipment to being a corporate friendly brewer once Molson Coors took over, which is a bit of uh-huh. a, a culture shock. A culture shock and had to get used to having meetings when I really just wanted to be brewing. And, uh, <laughs> and then, um, yeah, and then um, also the the way that um, the team developed in, from going from just having brewers that worked for you or, or people that were just clean equipment and, and fill tanks, you had to go from to recruiting um, skilled people and graduate people and, and technical people and, and managing them in the right way to, to get the best out of them as well. So, you know, it was a, uh-huh. it was a, a massive challenge and a, a massive growth curve really challenging and, and um, didn't get a lot of holidays or days off during that, that whole time. So it's, it's uh, put me in good stead for, for the way I work now. Yeah. Yeah. But so um, just in regards to, to, um, to that acquisition, uh, you know, we see it on this side, we'll be talking more about it in just a little bit. Um, but access to market, the distribution network, uh, the capital, the marketing uh, behind behind the brand, those were all things that that uh, led to significant growth over those next few years? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the trick that um, the two guys who bought the business off of Bill Sharp uh, had or, or that they were able to do was that they, they came from outside of the brewing industry. The, the UK brewing industry is a pretty conservative and... and um, fairly at the time it was fairly staid and, and there weren't many people challenging the model every all the regional breweries were pursuing the same ends and and, and there wasn't really a lot of brand building going on and the, the two guys that bought the business on were brand builders and they'd, they'd built they'd built up a, a brand in the uk called dolmio which is a, a pasta sauce and they, they built that from nothing to 100 million in about five years so mm. they they were, more, they were more used to working in the in the sort of cutthroat world of the supermarkets and, and fast moving consumer goods. So they, they bought a kind of cutting edge to the, to the brewing industry that, that wasn't really there before. So they were able to identify what, what was a really good brand in, in Doombar. Cause we, when they bought the business, Doombar was probably only about 70% of the, of the beer that we made and the other, the other mm. brands contributed the rest. Um, when they sold the, the business onto Mugs and Coors, it was about 90, 99%. And the other brands were, had just stayed the same kind of volume they were when they acquired the business. So they, they'd done a brilliant job in, in, in building the brand Doombar rather than building, building the brand Sharps and, and getting it, getting it renowned in the UK. They, they saw that the, the geographical location, everyone in, in, in the UK loves Cornwall and loves going to Cornwall and sees it as a, a clean and natural place. So they, they sort of put their colors to the mast on that and really, really put, put it behind that. They, they focused on trying to get the beer into London um, because um, it's such a massively populated area of the UK. It's a, it's a huge, huge amount of people there. And, and also lots of people also visit London. So that, and also a lot of Londoners holiday in Cornwall. So when they, when they see a Cornish brand in London, it's, 
it's a very easy sell because they see it's, they see that as a kind of beautiful place where they where they associate natural things. And when you've got a, a, a beer mm-hmm. that tastes really really good and natural, it's it's a nice a nice connotation. So they bought that to the business, um, and they bought their ability to market, and they they bought their ability to to network and, and trade, and, and that's what really really drove the drove the, the growth on. Yeah. So marketing, branding, obviously uh, uh, the, the the background to do that successfully. Um, what about? I mean, when I when I speak to my my neighbor, he talks about how drinkable the beer is. Obviously, before you talked about the flavor and what originally caught you uh, in terms of the quality of this beer. But uh, uh, to a broad spectrum of beer consumers in the UK, it sounds as though this product really. What um, was quite uh, quite well received. Um, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's probably not as edgy as some out there, obviously, but yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it does it's, hit the market, you know. Yeah, I mean, it had it had all the things that a traditional cask beer drinker is after. It's amber color, mm-hmm. um, and um, it it's got a a nice hoppy nose, um, which smells of hops rather than pineapple and grapefruit. That's more than hops. Mm-hmm. Well. But at the same time, it, it's only about well between sort of 16 and 20 bitterness units. So it's not it's not like a, a 35, 40, 40 bitterness unit beer um, that you get that you get prevalent in the UK market for, for cast beer. They tend to they tend to be more bitter. Um, the Cornish water itself is very soft. It's, it's very similar to pills and water. So the beer mm-hmm. is, it's, itself has got a softer, more rounded edge. Um, a lot of the, the UK brewers. We'll put an awful lot of calcium sulfate into the beer to, to try and make it more, more bitter and emphasise the hop notes. Whereas with Doombar, there, there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of that added, so it had more of a kind of a, not really a lager palate, but it had the kind of the same soft fruity roundedness that you get in a lager. So, and my my palate is very sensitive, and I and I was the one tasting it all the time and driving it towards being more, more pleasant. But at the same time, it did have a real substance to it. And it, it was yeah. it was something that you, you felt was a cask beer. It wasn't just a, a watered down version of everyone else's pale ale. It was a it was a, a nice tasty pale ale, but it wasn't one that was challenging. It was it was one that was was good for, for more more delicate palates. And I and I noticed that that you or they I guess I should say um, they bottled the beer as well. So it's in addition to being on cask, it, it's bottled. Yes, yeah, more so once Mugs and Cores acquired the business. It was the bottle volume was about five percent when uh, when Mugs and Cores acquired it, and and it's now probably selling as much in bottle as it is in is in cask. It's certainly the biggest selling uh, bottle beer in the UK, and has been since um, 2015 um, yeah. after I left. But the uh, yeah. the bottle version is brewed at Burton on Trent and in the um, in the main Mugs Cores factory rather than down at shops because shops didn't have the capacity to do it. Yeah. Um, so going to, uh, uh, from sharps, I think you went to maybe a couple other places briefly, but uh, Harbor brewing in North Cornwall. So you're still in the same, uh, same area um, was going back to uh, being not a corporate type, but a brewer and, and being in a small brewery. Is that part of what attracted you to that change? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I sort of got addicted to, Working for a, a fast-moving, successful business that was growing, and and you were you were constantly looking at um, looking at getting the best out of everything and improving everything and, and being part of a part of a, a success story. So um, 
I moved when I when Molson Coors acquired the business within within a year or so. I got promoted to run Sharps, um, uh, Franciscan Well Brewery in Cork, and the William yeah. Worthington uh, Brewery in Burton on Trent for, for Molson Coors. So um, I spent a lot of time on on uh, trains and planes and in cars, and not a lot of time near mash tuns and and involved with sort of brewing. And I I built a brewery out in Cork um, for for the Francisco Well, which is an exciting project, but I, I didn't have the same kind of control over that that I would over a project at Sharps. And also I wasn't getting the same measure of control over the beer. And I, and I, I, I felt it was the beer was suffering as a result of me not being able to spend as much time on it. And the, the, the reason I brew is to make, is to make great beer and, and being not able to do that because I had too much else on my plate was, was sort of, uh, a bit of a conflict so um harbour it has enabled me to to get back to being in the brewery all the time personally sort of um making the changes to the to the beer looking at every tank every day tasting the tank every day checking the milk when it's coming in really being connected to the products and being able to be part of that and at the same time we're we're growing really strongly and and um we've got we've got a good we've got some good brands which are going really well so it's the reason i'm the reason I'm at Harbour is is to, to try and sort of recreate some of what we did at Sharps. I don't think we'll ever we'll ever get to the same kind of um, stature that, that Sharps achieved, but um, we, but it's going to be good to be part of a, another successful business that's, that's really growing. I, I noticed that Harbour uh, produces uh, probably among, among other other beers that were not listed or I didn't see, but IPA, amber, light ale, pale ale. Is that a reflection uh, of where the UK beer consumers currently are in terms of the beer styles they, they like to drink? Um, I mean the UK. I mean the UK market is um, is a bit. Um, it's it's got almost sort of two or three streams. There's um, the, the the advent of of sort of modern craft, um, which, which in the UK is uh, we've always had brewers that make. Um, really bitter pale ales and and more traditional beers and we've always had the sort of commodity lager end um but the the third stream that, that's come in now is is the modern craft stream which is which is more sort of um taking the american model on to the uk i think a little bit um, and that that's really created a, a new market that wasn't there previously before that there was really only two ways to go the car scale market which was which is the sort of more bitter beers and um, and the IPAs and pale ales and best bitters, et cetera, and the commodity ends. Um, whereas now the craft market has, has come in and, and things like IPAs and the more American styles and, and more recently, because everyone's flooded the market with IPAs and American styles, people are getting into the, the continental styles of, of sort of saisons and, and lagers. Um, so the, 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 the best bitter ends, the, the sort of, the doom bar end and the and the car scale end is, is is still pretty much if it's amber or golden people will enjoy it and if it's if it's quite bitter and and has, has got a good hop note people will enjoy it. Um, whereas um, the um, the lager market is as it, as it always has been people are people are just after something which is inoffensive and and it's uh, probably got the best best price point or the nicest marketing. Whereas the new the new craft market which is the one that's growing by sort of triple triple percentages um that's the one that that's uh 
where people are looking for diversity and, and uh, where most of the brewers that are involved in it are, are putting out probably 40 or 50 different brands every year because it's a particularly um, promiscuous market in terms of the, of the drinking culture. Lots of people in the, in the, who are, would consider themselves craft beer drinkers never drink the same beer twice. Um, they will always go to a, go to a bar and want to, want to have a different experience of each drink and, and be wowed and impressed and, and uh, sometimes have their boundaries pushed by what they drink. Yeah, um, I, that sort of uh, brings to mind the, the issue of experimentation. Uh, we're seeing the same thing here, obviously, in the U.S. Um, and the craft sector has really been driven by experimentation and people, consumers, particularly certain age group of consumers, uh, pushing the industry for, you know, new, new, new. Uh, and, you know, sometimes that translates into interpretations of, of existing beer styles, um, uh, styles that many maybe never heard of before, or the use of hops and huge quantities uh, of hops in some beers, um, you know, using hops in different way, the dry hopping and its effect on mm-hmm. beer flavors. Um, U.S. brewers are, are pushing these boundaries. Are, are, you, are you seeing many of the, particularly probably the new craft breweries or microbreweries as they're, I guess, often referred to there? Um, are, they, are they too into really experimenting with styles? And how, how would you compare them sort of to the, to the U.S. market? Um, I would say it's, it's, it is very similar. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would I would say they're probably maybe even the the US market or the US craft brewers maybe slightly more conservative than some of our, our newer incumbents. The, um, the there are lots of really quite small brewers who are making a different beer every time they brew, um, and there's mm. lots of sort of there's lots of brewers who see themselves as the next brew dog or or the the rock and roll brewers and the and the and the, the brewers that want to be idolised by their by their peers above above all else so there's lots of lots of new breweries starting up that are making challenging beers um which normal people would probably think are horrific and wouldn't want to put them in their mouth ever um, <laughs> uh, and there's, there's there does seem to be a bit of a dilution of the of the sort of science and and the proper craft of, of brewing where you actually understand what the malt should do and you understand what ph your mash should be and you understand how your hygiene levels in your brew house will impact on on the safety of your products and and that kind of thing. The, the, a lot of the the, the newer um, I, I am generalising here and, and I hope I don't offend anyone by saying it, but a lot of the a lot of the newer the newer people coming in are are looking at the are looking at the sort of the sort of twenty percent that isn't really all that in, important and ignoring the eighty percent that's um, essential when it comes to comes to brewing because the the 20% is a really exciting flashy bit that's got that's got them uh, that's got them into beer in the first place and and as a result the, some of their beers are fundamentally flawed although they they all think they're amazing when they come out because they they made them and they're really happy that it doesn't you know it isn't uh, solid with lumps in and, and it hasn't gone completely wrong so um, <laughs> when i when i got into brewing you were you were just um you were just glad to, um, to sort of be able to be making beer and you aspired to make beer as good as the classics and you and you you looked to the traditional brewers as the ones who were who were capable and had 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 centuries of, of experience and and uh, you really wanted to to be as good as them i think these days there are lots of people who are coming into it 
trying to be a rock star and trying to trying to challenge um, what's gone before and, and do new and different things. And sometimes that isn't better. New is new is seldom better. New is is just new. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. Uh, here over the last few years, uh, tap rooms have become uh, really a vital. A component of the craft scene. Uh, uh, it, it be, uh, you know, we always, always used to have the the brew pubs with uh, you know their their pub environment, but today the brewery uh, adds on a tap room, and some of these are just magnificent facilities, and and mm-hmm. they've really invested in some cases lots of money in these environments. Um, uh, you know, architects are designing them. It's not just sort of haphazard build a, build a room and stick some chairs at a bar. Um, the, they're reflecting sort of the brand of the of the brewery in in their construction, um, and they're vitally important financially. Obviously, the more beer you can sell directly to consumers, uh, the the feedback that you get, the the loyalty that you get from people who you know routinely go and use that as their local uh, hangout. Uh, um, what are you seeing on the UK side? Is there anything sort of comparable to that? Yes, yeah. I mean, the 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 modern UK craft brewers uh, model most of what they do on on the US scene, I think, and um, certainly urban breweries um, have all have all got something like that. It may not be directly connected to the the actual facility they're operating because they're normally uh-huh. fairly modest modest places on on sort of business parks out in out in suburban parts of um, parts of cities um, yeah. but certainly in, in in the center of cities there are lots of really plush modern um, craft beer taps or, or um, tap rooms um, that are 100 percent brewery branded um, there's a there is a massive amount of investment going into craft beer at the moment because because it's growing there's lots of um, venture capitalists and entrepreneurs putting lots of money in um, and as a result that these these places that are being built are really quite quite nice a lot a lot of sort of brewery tap pubs for smaller breweries going back 10 15 years used to be pretty grabby affairs with a couple of mm. cast can pulls on and some pickled eggs on the bar but these days you know they are in very impressive places and, and they're generally very well attended and and they, they generally can uh, can be a great way for the for the business to make some make some good money uh-huh yeah, I've worked uh, over the last uh, few months. I've worked at putting together uh, a craft brewery tours to uh, Ireland and to London. Uh, so I've gotten to know, you know, some of the people in those two, you know, uh, areas, um, and, and look forward to launching these uh, this next fall uh, to actually have a chance to meet them in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to, to just take a moment. Uh, uh, for our sponsor, uh, if you've uh, dreamed about opening your own brewery or you're looking for a career change to craft beer director, our own program at the University of Vermont offers industry-specific knowledge to make that possible. Um, instructors are craft beer experts from across the U.S. and Canada. Uh, the Uni- University of Vermont's Business to Craft Beer program was developed for those who specifically want to learn about the business side of this exciting industry. For further details, give us a call at 800-639-3210 or visit our Facebook page at UVM Business of Craft Beer. Uh, So, Stuart, I wanted to ask about cask. Um, We see a little experimentation with cask-conditioned beer here in the States, but 
Not certainly not a huge wave yet. Uh, what do you see as some of the the challenges uh, here in the U.S. or or anywhere for that matter? Uh, are there logistical issues uh, in beer how beer is handled that limits uh, this this from expanding too too much, or have uh, beer consumers' tastes simply haven't gotten there yet? What, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, we we struggle with cask beer in the UK, and we're supposed to be good at it. So um, <laughs> another another country to take it on is a is a big challenge. Um, okay. It's such a it's such an idiosyncratic product um, to deal with. Um, it, the 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 hygiene requirements in in cellars is difficult. The, the training required to uh, to to handle it properly in the cellar is is difficult. The the job to do in the brewery. Um, Especially if you haven't got the, the specialist equipment to to get it right, is um, is challenging as well. So it's um, it's very difficult to to get right. Um, what makes a great cask beer as well is is um, sometimes lost on on some brewers um, because it, a, a a great cask beer, as far as sort of the mass market in the UK is concerned, is a pretty unassuming product that. Um, needs to be enjoyed over a session you need to have quite a few of them really to 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 understand it and um it, it's not a sort of a well beer that you you immediately drink half a pint of and, and think it's it's changed your life it's it's a it's a beer that you know you you grow to love over a pint and then over a session you've really you've really enjoyed enjoyed it and you want to go back the next day and do exactly the same thing so um all of, all of those things count against it being difficult to account against it um, being successful and easy, um, I think um, in the UK quite a lot of the, the new new brigade of craft brewers are actually pulling out of cask because um, in the UK it's very easy to to produce cask beer of of a standard that you can put into a pub, and a lot of the new new breweries that sell it are selling it into a market that's already flooded, and um, and they're selling it very cheap in order to try and get a foothold. So. That has, that has driven down the, the price that you can actually get um, for a, a cask beer to the point where it just isn't viable for some breweries to, to even bother with it, especially if they've got a, a good following for their canned or bottled or keg products in the, in the craft market, which tends to afford you a, a better selling price. So a lot, of the, a lot of the more fashionable breweries in the UK are, are pulling out because it's much easier to make money on using other, other routes to market or, or pack types. Um, Cask, the cask market itself has grown over the past few years because it was in, in terminal decline at one point, and then um, over sort of the last five years, it, there has been a there has been a growth in it as, as more pubs are, are installing the systems to dispense it. Um, mm-hmm. But it, but the, the growth um, that's been enjoyed um, has been paralleled by a massive explosion in the, the number of breweries that are entering um, the cask production market so it's it's much more of a fractured market now where where if you if you go below the sort of top three or four biggest selling cast brands most of the brands are, are in decline because the the what what is left is being carved up into much smaller slices so uh-huh. so the, so it's difficult to know what the future of cask is in the uk um whether the whether um it's something that can be successful in the in the u.s i'm not sure and, and Unless you've got a really good temperate climate and you've got a supply chain that's geared to, to handling cask, it's, it's very difficult. The, the first year that, that Molson Coors had Doombar in their portfolio, they, they failed to put in temperature control in their distribution 
warehouses and, mm. um, and we, we were getting probably two thirds of some batches back um, because it was going to pubs and it was completely over conditioned or, or it had just become awful in the cask and the, and the landlord sent it back saying this beer is rubbish and it's because it had been sat in a warehouse at, at sort of 20, 20, 25 degrees centigrade for two weeks before it went to a, to a pub so it is a big challenge and it is something that needs to be, needs to be got right for the supply chain. Mm-hmm. Recently, I read that the the number of uh, craft UK breweries increased eight uh, percent last year and sixty five percent over the past five years. Uh, so obviously, mm-hmm. dramatic growth like we're seeing over here. Uh, when you when you look at the range of breweries in the UK, uh, uh, I know it's just kind of a general uh, reaction, but uh, who's winning and who's losing in this market, and and who's stagnant uh, in, in today's market. And not just not just talking about craft, but just talking in general about beer in the UK. Um, I think the I think because because we've got two streams almost, um, it's the um, it's difficult to to really say. And and also that there is a big hype over certain breweries um, in the UK, and, and they're they're seen as being amazingly successful. But when you actually see the volume of beer they're producing, um, the, the the volumes they're they're making are pretty modest. Um, and you and you, an obscure regional who that have been brewing for like I don't know twenty or thirty years in the UK could be doing mm. thirty thousand brewers barrels, and you wouldn't hear about them um, anywhere in the in the in the sort of hubbub of, of craft and, and and market. Whereas a, a new brewer that started up and has had twelve. 12,000% growth in the first year, um, but is only brewing 12,000 uh, litres, um, you'll hear an awful lot about because they're, they're, um, lots of people on rate beer are saying what they make is good and they're selling in the most fashionable areas and and, mm. um, and the PR people are, are sort of doing a really good job for them. So um, the regionals or the more traditional brewers that have been around for Sort of hundreds of years have been declining in terms of the volume of beer they've been selling outside of their own tied estate. I know that I know that's the case. Um, probably some of the the regionals that were growing up at the same time that uh, Sharps was was in in really high levels of growth um, will also be declining because, or at least they won't be enjoying the same level of growth they were previously. Um, the the sort of super fashionable craft market, which is an urban-based market selling into specialist bars in in big cities. Um, there are sort of two or three front runners at the moment that seem to be growing really, really rapidly. Um, but quite often you'll see one being a front runner for a couple of years and then they will die back and you won't hear anything about them and you'll get the next big fashionable brand coming through. Um, at the same time, so I think it's it's a really interesting time um, to see to see what what is happening with with the sort of the smaller ends. I know for I know for a fact in Cornwall that this year or or within the last six months there have been three brewers that have gone pop and uh, and gone out of business, and and there are an awful lot of breweries that, that sort of open up and and will have a designation of being a brewer, but will be doing probably sort of three, four thousand litres a year that they're just selling locally to a few pubs and, and they will they will probably go under um, without anyone really noticing. So 
Um, I think the, the, the large, larger brewers, lager still still in slight decline, although it has been pulled back a little bit. So the, the big big brands have gone gone back a little a little tiny bit. Um, but um, and the regionals are going back a little bit, and then and then the the where the growth is seems seems to be being divided up a lot more finely, so so that the growth isn't being enjoyed to, to quite a, a, a massive extent by any any one brand. I do know yeah. that the businesses that are being that are being acquired by uh, certainly Camden. I know that the volume there that they're producing now is is skyrocketing because obviously they've got they've got brands people want and now they've got the, the ability to make more of it and they've got access to market to get it into mm-hmm. get it into pubs and, uh, and likewise meantime as well they're doing really well since um they were disposed of down to asahi so um those those brands are, are doing well and, and getting getting good market penetration so i think it's i think what, what the big brewers are doing they're they're mitigating the, the losses that they're seeing in in terms of volume through um the 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 terminally de- terminal decline or, or seeming terminal decline of the large lager brands they're mitigating that by buying up the small craft brewers and and, and growing their brands up to up to good levels but i, I still i think that the sort of aggregate effect is is they're, they're still they're still in decline but the decline isn't quite as quite as slow yeah you know, it's, it sounds quite similar to here. You know, obviously, you, you probably follow the some of what's going on on this side. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, you know, the, some of the the better known brands, uh, quality craft breweries are being acquired by various entities, um, and many of them seem to be. You know, they're keeping the the team in place, so there there isn't like an over overhaul of most of the uh, you know team that's brewing, been brewing for years. Um, so that seems to be a good model, and, and um, they're able to gain access to you know fi- capital for expansion if necessary, or building a brewery elsewhere, or uh, just certainly distribution, and in some some cases even foreign markets. Um, so that seems to be working for some. Uh, and then on the other end of the spectrum are the are the very small breweries. They're not looking to be regional. They're not going to be regional breweries or production breweries. They're they're really saturating their their market as long as they make great products. Uh, they continue to hold favor with a lot of consumers. And I guess the question a lot of people have: you you've been in different sized breweries. You may have a sense of this. You know, what's the what's the financial viability of of small breweries that are really serving a, a very local market? Their goal is never to expand dramatically, but can they can they hold on and can they be uh, can they thrive? Can they be you know quite viable? Uh, Small breweries. Uh, I think I think the the more or, or the the greater the number of breweries we get in the UK, um, the less likely it is that that those small breweries will be able to to prosper. Um, Cornwall Cornwall was, hasn't got very many people in it. It's, it's a very a very rural county with only a, a few small towns in it, and um, we've got something like forty five breweries that that are trying yeah. to service that market. Um, yeah. when, when Mr. Sharp started back in 1994, there were three breweries in, in Cornwall. And, yeah. um, and, and that was for the, the same amount of people. So um, some people are, are consciously drinking local. Um, but even, even saying that, it is, it is harder for for those those breweries doing that, I think if if they've got a tap room and they and they've got their own route to market, 
um, or, or a brew pub, then I think that's that's pretty that's a pretty good good model. If if they don't really want to sell much further than their own four walls and, and they've got a really good retail offer, I think that that is a that is a good business model. But I think a, a man in his garage with a, a very small brew kit that wants to sell to a few local pubs, I don't think is a is a sustainable model, and I, and I think it's becoming becoming harder to harder to do that successfully and, and, and earn a living from it. So I don't think there's a, there really is a future for that. Um, when back in the sort of Victorian times in the UK, every town used to have two or three breweries in it. Um, and we're not far off that now. And um, as well as having that number of breweries trying to brew, you've also got huge breweries producing millions of, of barrels of beer into the marketplace as well. So there's just, I don't think there's, there's enough mouths and livers to process all the beer that we're as a business, as an industry trying to produce. So I think at some point there's going to have to be um, some kind of, some kind of decline phase where the great brewers will, will come through. Um, And some of those will be great brewers that are able to, to, to do it on the local model basis. Um, And some of the great brewers be the ones that, that survive by growing and, acquiring and and uh, expanding yeah uh, the the economist head economist for the brewers association bard watson is as as uh indicated that in his view of the market he sort of views uh breweries kind of like wineries and there are twice as many you know actually many more than uh that uh maybe three times uh as many wineries in the u.s mm-hmm. and he says that a, a community of 10,000 people here can sustain a quality uh, brewery uh, in, in their community. Um, of course, some communities, and you just described Cornwall, it sounds like it, it, they're saturated uh, mm-hmm. or Cornwall now is saturated. And when that happens, obviously, um, there, there are challenges for a number of them to survive. Um, in the U.S., there are a lot of places that that do not yet have a, a brewery or maybe there's, you know, one or two or, or there's much room for growth within their, you know, when you look at their population base and, and, uh, you know, I looked at the number of breweries uh, in London and obviously they're, they're growing pretty, pretty rapidly in a high population base. So it mm-hmm. seems like it's, it might be similar uh, in some respects as, as uh, uh yeah, I mean it's it's um, everybody's everybody seems to be talking about that issue here of you know is the market saturated is there room for growth and and uh, you know who, who knows. <laughs> Time yeah, I think, I think you're, I don't think you've you've reached the same level as as we have yet. I think we started we started uh, we got a smaller land mass and I think we started from a, a slightly bigger base because we had we had an awful lot of regional brewers that were there yeah. before and probably still are now. So we I think we've got something like. Um, 1,700 brewers in the UK, which is uh-huh. for the size of the size of, uh, of land mass that we are, is is saturation. I would I would say. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, unfortunately, we're out of time today. Uh, but uh, Stuart, I'd really uh, want to thank you for joining us and spending uh, what's turned out to be almost uh, 45 minutes of time. Uh, time passes when you're having fun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Stuart uh, is uh, uh, head brewer at Harbor Brewing in North Cornwall and formerly uh, Charps Brewery uh, in in Cornwall. And uh, I want to thank you again for uh, taking time with us today. Cheers. Thank you. 
in the in a future blog talk radio show, we'll be uh, take a look at ESOPs, uh, employer brewery models, uh, direction, and recently Switchback Brewery announced their uh, their plan to do likewise. Uh, until then, have a great afternoon, and uh, don't forget, please visit your local breweries. Take care, Stuart. Thanks again. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.